Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with Airwave Recording Studio owner, engineer, and producer Mark Phillips, and we just got home from the Georgia Dome where the Tide left town with another SEC crown. Bama's played on a lot of big stages, but this was one for the ages because the Bulldogs battle till the doggone bitter end. The biggest wins are always over the best opponents, and I have to give the pups their props because they played their guts out, so they deserve the shout-out and it's too bad the system leaves them shut out of a better bowl game. It's a shame the BCS won't toss the dogs a better bone, but be that as it may, their fans did a lot of barking, and the team could actually fight. So I don't know if Bama actually taught the Bulldogs to behave, but at least now they know who's best in show. There are a lot of reasons there were smiles for miles as we hit the highway headed for home. With Athens only an hour away from Atlanta, the Dome was like an uptown dog pound for the canines in their cohort. So it was cool to win there when they thought they could count on a home kennel advantage. They'd been popping off in the papers and making all kinds of news with their interviews in the days leading up to the game. Georgia cornerback Sanders Cummings was quoted as saying, I think we're the best D in the country. I thought we were last year. Well, of course, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, but this one was evidently the result of either being completely detached from reality or math and reading comprehension issues, given the fact that with regard to this year, Bama led them in every major defensive category and gave up only 21 points to their offense Saturday since seven of their points were scored in the kicking game. Bama, he might have noticed, scored 32 on their defense. As for their being the best defense last year, I guess he forgot about the 42 points scored on them by the same LSU team we shut out in the national championship game a month later. That game was on TV, by the way, so if he missed the broadcast, it wasn't because they had a game that day. Bakari Rambo, in an ESPN interview, said that he felt they were more talented than Bama, but at this point, it's a moot point because Bama scored the most points. But he might have had the coolest name in the game because it sounds like one of those drinks you order on a special occasion at a special location, like, oh, let's see, maybe Miami? But I don't know if Rambo wants to make a movie about this game after Eddie Lacy ran past Lassie for 181 yards and T.J. Yeldon had 153 in the win against Ren 1010. So that was 350 total yards on the ground in the dog pound. But seriously, folks, you had to be wearing your big boy pants in this battle because there were warriors on both sides. Barrett Jones injured an ankle early on, played the last three quarters with one good leg, and was on crutches at the postgame trophy presentation. Jesse Williams went down and sat out a long time with what looked like a leg injury but came back in later. And you got to give Aaron Murray his props because he took a shot that would have rocked the real Rambo. Now, the fourth quarter was all about the will to win. It wasn't pretty because it was like the last few rounds of a heavyweight title fight, and when the final bell rang, the ref raised the hand of the man in the crimson trunks. Now, Alabama and Georgia recruit a lot of the same kids, but it's interesting that there are 17 titers from the Peach State, but only one scholarship player from Alabama on the Georgia roster. So the immigration pattern suggests that if Waterford Crystal's what you're hungry for, Tuscaloosa's just got more. And the game was a family of fair too since Bama freshman Dylan Lee is the younger brother of Georgia lineman Dallas Lee. Bama backup quarterback Philip Ely was a teammate of Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray at Plant High School in Tampa, Florida. Georgia offensive line coach Will Friend played at Bama in the 90s about the same time Kirby Smart starred as a DB at Georgia. You know, and it's worth mentioning that this tied team didn't act its age. Most squads with only nine seniors seldom see the postseason, but this bunch saw freshmen break out and bust a move on the big stage at an early age. 
T.J. Yeldon rushed for 1,000 yards this year, and Amari Cooper became a go-to guy right from the get-go. But in all the emotion and commotion after the game, T.J. Yeldon provided a great picture of why Coach Saban's process creates so much positive progress. Freshmen aren't allowed to speak to the media until the postseason. In his first opportunity to do so, after playing a huge part in an amazing win, he declined to do interviews because he felt the focus should be on the team's seniors. That kind of selflessness and maturity coming from college freshmen is just one more reason why these kids are special and why they're winners even before they put their uniform on. And speaking of winners, our guest today played at Hoover High School where they won the state championship in 05, walked on at Bama in 08. He played in every game in 2010 and made his first career start in the 49-7 win over Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl. He earned a spot on the SEC Academic Honor Roll and won the Bear Bryant Outstanding Non-Scholarship Award in the spring of 2011. So we've got number 29 in the house. Will Lowry, what are you up to since you hung up the helmet? Uh, You know, just been finishing school. I'll be graduating in two weeks and starting grad school in January and uh, just enjoying being in the in title town. Well, how are you feeling after three or four years of uh, getting beat up at practice five days a week? Uh, I, I could feel better, pretty sore. I <laughs> got some bumps and bruises that uh, that last a while, and some days are, are harder than others to get out of the bed. But overall, uh, doing just fine. Man, that sounds great. Hey, you know, you've got what I think is a great story. I know you came up in a great high school program here in Hoover, but there aren't many walk-ons that make the squad and wind up actually getting on the field. How old were you when you knew this is what you wanted to do, and how did all this play out? Well, you know, coming out of high school, um, I wasn't getting too much attention in recruiting. wasn't uh, wasn't getting too many um, big big school offers. Um, you know, obviously, just didn't have the size or the speed uh, on paper um, to to warrant that. And kind of decided that I I wanted to go to Alabama regardless, and had the opportunity to walk on, and uh, and it just worked out extremely well for me. Well, did you get recommendations from high school coaches, that kind of thing? Yeah, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, the DB coach right. now, actually, uh, he was he was I think director of play development or something like that he was on the staff um, when I was leaving high school and uh, he had coached me for the first couple years at Hoover and um, I kind of called him up and asked him if he thought it'd be a good idea and and uh, he talked to this to the coaching staff and they told me to come on down so yeah so he was sort of an advocate there yeah Yeah, well and he knew you had some background that's that's great you know you were at Hoover when you guys played Nice High School with Tebow when Tebow was a senior and it was on TV uh, you were there when ESPN did the special that made Hoover a national name. Did all that kind of help prepare you for the media circus that surrounds college ball? Yeah, I think it did. Um, you know, playing at Hoover, we were always on the biggest stage uh, that, that you could play on in high school. And uh, playing at a high level is just something that I've kind of been around uh, ever since I was a kid growing up in that area. So it, it translated well going to Alabama. How old were you when it came to mind that you wanted to really – shoot for playing football at Alabama did you always want to play at Alabama well uh, you know it was I guess you could say it was more of a dream uh, when I was younger I absolutely I mean I can remember as a kid you know just um, just dreaming about it thinking about it um, watching the games growing up an Alabama fan my whole life lived in the state most of my life um, and to be able to have an opportunity never really seemed uh, realistic I guess and so uh, when the opportunity came it was it was pretty surreal and, and I'm very blessed to, to been able to do it yeah, well, as as it got closer, and of course, now you were playing with some a lot of guys that played college ball, some D one guys in high school, so I would I would suspect that made the the transition a little easier. But like, you know, what's it like going into Coach Saban's program as a walk on freshman? You're competing against elite athletes that are on scholarship. What's that like? 
Uh, it's tough. You know, when I got there, I came in as a freshman right after camp. Uh, you know, they take uh, 105 guys to camp, and then they had another 25 guys after that to bring in to uh, kind of help out on the scout team and stuff. And so when I got there, you know, the first uh, the first year, everybody was pretty much defined in who was playing. There wasn't too much uh, competing per se for spots. It was pretty locked up, and uh, they don't really they don't really give you too much of a chance. You know, when when you're a freshman walk on, so. Uh, at first, it was kind of frustrating. You know, you're just on scout team and helping out any way you can. But uh, in 2009, um, my sophomore year, I kind of started realizing as the year wore on that we were going to be graduating a lot of our top guys uh, after the season, and I'd have an opportunity to show the coaches what I had. So um, once I saw, once I saw, you know, that there would be an opportunity, I kind of got serious about uh, the possibility of making it happen. Yeah. So 2009, you would have been academic sophomore right that would have been your redshirt freshman year eligibility wise correct right yeah yeah okay okay you know Bama just recorded its fifth 10 win season in a row which by the way is an SEC record in spite of all kinds of success that we've had over 120 years that's the first time that's ever happened wow five 10 year 10 win seasons in a row the win over Georgia was the 60th win in the last five years meaning we're averaging 12 wins a year over the last five years that's amazing uh, that's off the charts you were there when this thing Saban's put in motion was putting the team back where we all want it to be, where it is now. What's it like to know you were part of a process that's created actually one of the greatest eras in the history of not just Alabama football, but all of college football? Yeah, it's special. Um, you know, he his first year, I was a senior in high school, and we went 7-6 uh, and six and lost to Louisiana Monroe at home and lost to Mississippi State at home. And, I remember. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh, I was there. It was, it was some tough times, and, and uh, you know, people had their doubts. You know, after sure. one year, they already, of course, you know, the, the all the, the great college football minds that, that, uh, that think they know what's best, you know. There was a lot of criticism, but you know it takes time. And obviously, once he once he was able to get his recruits in and really get his system uh, flowing, I mean, it's his system is second to none. So you had such a great view of this thing because, yeah, 2007 was a struggle, but you but you knew that we had turned a corner. You knew that the guys that would submit to the program that would that would be coachable, you know, that would that would do what they were asked to do, there would be progress, there would be improvement, there would be good things in the future. And again, we struggled in 2007, although we did wind up with a bowl win. And then we come out that first game in Atlanta against Clemson and just, it looked like a different football team. I mean, it, it was amazing that night. I remember watching that game and thinking, okay, yeah, this, is, this thing is a whole different animal than it was two years ago. What was it like? Being, I mean, could you feel and sense that change in the mindset and the physicality of the team? I mean, because we just beat Clemson to death that night. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when uh, when that year started, I think there was a lot of hunger. Uh, you know, Saban had been there, like like we talked about. It was a rough year, but there were a lot of guys that came that were coming back. You know, that that knew that we had the ability to be really good, and I think that the hunger just really caught on with the team. And we had so much talent that came in uh, my year, and and with Julio and, and Mark Ingram, guys like that, Marcel. That I think uh, we started to realize that we that the, that the sky was the limit for us, and uh, that was just the very beginning of of uh, a lot of success. Oh, I think that changed Clemson's program I mean they weren't the same the rest of that year I think they still got bruises from it hey, you know you were a walk-on playing in a team with a lot of the elite athletes you just mentioned uh, Julio and all that bunch in fact Julio and Mark Ingram were on the sideline the other night in Atlanta I noticed which is really cool it's great that they come back and are supportive like that what were the interpersonal dynamics like on the team I and mean, you, you got guys that know they're going to be NFL draft choices not just play but high round draft choices and they're as freshmen and you already know it and you're and you're out there 
going through practice with these guys, what's it like playing with those folks? And what the interpersonal dynamics, what's it like? How do, the, how do you get along? What's, what's it like as far as, you know, the relationships between the guys at that age? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, uh, it's like any other team. I feel like, you know, you get a lot of different personalities, you get a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And, uh, it's just a tremendous pleasure to be able to be on the same team as a lot of those guys. They have such good, positive, uh, you know, personalities and tempos about them. And it's, it's really fun to be able to interact with them and, uh, know them as a person outside of just the player that, you know, 99% of the world gets to see every Saturday. Yeah, you know, Julio is is an interesting case. Uh, he seems like a really good uh, kid, young man. Very, he seems to be very quiet, uh, even in his interviews, which were really not uh, – he didn't do a lot of interviews. He never really had a lot to say, but he had this incredible physical presence on the field. Um, he, was, he was really kind of a freak in a way, and I mean that in, a, in the best way. What was he like? What was it like being a teammate with Julio Jones? Yeah, you know, Julio. Uh, my freshman year when I got when I got to Alabama, um, obviously I played safety and that's my main position. But I, I I played corner a lot growing up when I was younger. I was very undersized. So uh, when I got here, we actually had um, plenty of safeties and kind of had a lack of corners for the scout team. And so. Uh, you know, I just told them I'd play it. You know, I'd do whatever they needed me to do. So my job freshman year, Monday through Thursday, was uh, press man on Julio. Oh my uh, goodness! I'll practice. So. And he's got five inches and forty five pounds. <laughs> he's, on him. he's got a lot on me. And he's uh, got arms and, that go down to his knees. Yeah, he's uh, he's just an unbelievable physical specimen. I mean, the the combination of of size and speed with him is just it's very rare. I mean, you talk about guys like Cam Newton. I mean, he's he's in the same conversation. I mean, he's just so physically imposing, and and people don't realize just how strong he is just because he looks he looks thinner I get or leaner I guess is a better word simply because he's so tall and so long uh but when he was a freshman he I think he uh, maxed out on bench at 405 pounds uh-huh. as an 18 year old coming in so uh that can kind of give you an idea of just just how strong he is but well, yeah and he looks like he's like five percent body fat oh yeah uh, there's a lot of those guys, him and uh, Dre Kirkpatrick and some of them, and they're they're they around float. the two, three, four percent. You know, range. fat's really buoyant. You know, <laughs> you couldn't sink me with a with a car tire. You know, but those guys, I mean, that's 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 got to make practicing pretty interesting. Oh yeah, and you know, it was it was great experience for me, and I'd like to think that I made him a little bit better uh, guarding him every day. But obviously, it was great for me. Uh, um, but uh, with guys like Julio, I mean, you get the you get the God given ability, which he is. You know, has every bit as much ability and, and talent, charts. gifts as as you could get. But when you combine that with his work ethic and his commitment, which is second to none, I mean, really? he really is uh, a true professional in every sense of the word. And it's great to see him succeed because when he got there, uh, got to Alabama, you know, I could tell that he was he was a man on a mission. He knew he was put on this earth to to catch touchdown passes in in the game of football. And uh, he came here. He bought into Coach Saban's system like everyone else did um, our year. And uh, really worked his butt off for the for the three years that he was at Alabama and was you know our best uh, offensive threat out at wideout obviously by far and away uh, his entire time here and and uh, to see his success carry over in the NFL I'm not one bit surprised and couldn't be happier for him. You know it, that's what impresses me the most uh, is if it matters uh, is that somebody that talented and gifted can be that coachable. Because when you get to the NFL, you find see a lot of guys that don't really take to coaching very well. Yeah, and you know you see a lot of that. Uh, you see that happen a lot in our program as well. You know, you see a lot of guys kind of uh, maybe not do as well as 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 they were expected to, or you know, transfer out, just kind of get uh, weeded out of the system. You know, and that that happens. Um, you know, you either 
you either buy in or you don't with Coach Saban's system. And, uh, yeah, it says a lot about him and, and a lot about the type of person he is that when you're given that much ability and have everything handed to you, uh, you know, kind of like athletes like him and recruits like him had up to that stage, to see them uh, not take it for granted and not let it go to their head, but to just let it drive them even further to be the best that they can be, it's really something special. Yeah, it's kind of like what we're I was talking about there in the uh, earlier on in the show about uh, T.J. Yeldon. So impressive that – uh, in his first opportunity on in a situation like that, I mean that was a national game. That was a that was a national championship playoff game. The whole all the media in the country were there, and he declines to do interviews because he felt that the team's seniors should be the focus. And that's that's the kind of kids that are really impressive because TJ is so incredibly talented. Yeah, he is. Uh, I've been real impressed with him as well as a couple other freshmen and, and younger guys in the program. Him especially, obviously, you know, he's just had an unbelievable year and, and the numbers that he's put up as a freshman and just the the type of running and style of running and his ability to, to just his will not to go down. Uh, is impressive. I've I've been around him a little bit, and uh, the thing that sticks out to me is just how big he is. I don't think people realize just just how large he is. You know, because we're we're used to running backs five nine, five ten with uh, you know Trent and Mark. Yeah, well, you know, they, they, Trent and Mark were bigger guys, yeah. and Eddie's a thicker guy, but they're not tall. You know, they're they're five nine, five ten, uh, and and Eddie, I mean uh, TJ, excuse me, is a solid six one. And uh, oh, easy. And and you can see how filled out he is on top of that. I mean, he's a big kid. And quick feet. Absolutely, he's yeah. got, You know, he's got feet like a little guy. I mm. mean, just like a point guard. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's he's another guy uh, that you talk about when you talk about size and speed combination. Uh, it's just kind of unheard of and very rare. Hey, you know, we hear a lot about the sophistication and complexity of Coach Saban's system, and it's pretty obvious, uh, like kind of what we're talking about, that it's kept some great athletes on the bench. Uh, how long did it take you to get a really good grasp of it and, and get comfortable enough with it so that, uh, you felt comfortable in case you were put in a game. Um, you know, it, it took me one good off season uh, to where I really started to, to grasp the system. Uh, I mean, it's like you say, it's very complex. It's extremely difficult. Um, you know, we when I was in high school at Hoover, we we ran a lot of stuff for a high school team. You know, we ran a lot of blitzes and a lot of different coverages. Whereas, you know, a lot of high schools just run cover three and man to man and and you know things like that. Um, so I, I kind of thought that it would not be as hard for me coming here, um, but it was still extremely tough. Um, my first year here, first year or two here, actually, when I was on scout team. You know, I didn't get uh, too much attention from the coaches in terms of uh, personal coaching and attention and trying to get me to to learn the system. So I kind of had to pick it up on my own. And um, it really took um, the spring and the summer before uh, that 2010 year. Um, it took the whole time to try and grasp it. And, uh, you know, you, you got to learn multiple positions because if you really want to know what's going on, you have to know what everybody's supposed to be doing. It's all in interconnected. Exactly. It all it all fits together into one big puzzle. And. You know, it's 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 easier to learn just your position and memorize exactly what you need to do. But if you really want to be um, the best player that you can be, one thing that Coach Saban always talk about talks about is becoming a master of your craft and and really um, you know selling yourself to it and and uh, or I guess a better word would be committing yourself um, and just really kind of buying in and and trying to find out and learn as much as you can about every aspect of it. And to do that. Um, you kind of want to know the big picture and exactly what's going on so that in the middle of the game when you're standing out there and 100,000 people are screaming and you can't hear yourself you know, speak or yell, um, you know what's going on. You have trust in your teammates still that, that they're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like he's trying to uh, teach you guys to be coaches. 
because once you know, like you talk about the guys learn corner, and then some of them are playing uh, star, mm-hmm. and some of them are playing in the in the dime package, uh, money, mm-hmm. and 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 you think. You know, and it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that really what he's doing is trying to prepare you to know the whole scheme instead of just your position. So you do have that greater grasp of what's really going on with the big picture because you got eleven guys on the offense that are trying to scheme you out of the play. Right. So that that's 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 really fascinating. I can't imagine there being a coaching staff that does a better job of preparing guys to play on Saturday than ours does. But like I say, it's different when you get out there against guys in a different color jersey. What was it like the first time you run out there and they're firing real bullets? Oh, it's it's definitely different. You know, you you're in practice and like you say, you know, it's it's one thing when you're sitting there in practice and it's your offense and Coach Saban's controlling the the clock and the snake, you know, hold on, hold on one second, we're not lined up right, you know, and you can adjust and yeah, you got Coach start. Smart right behind yeah. you going, you know, sky, sky, you no, know, get over you, there. Yeah, telling you what to do. And uh once you get out on the field and they're not right behind you and you can't hear anything and all you can do is, is make the calls yourself and trust your teammates, it's definitely a whole different ball game. You know when I when Coach Saban talks about adjusting on the fly, and they seem to do a pretty good job of that. I mean, again, we've won 60 games in the last five years. You don't do that because you don't know what you're doing. You know, but you get out there, and all of a sudden a team comes out, and maybe they're going no huddle or up-tempo, or they're in different formations than you've seen in preparation. Uh, when, when you're faced with a lot of offensive looks that you didn't prepare for, and I'm not sure that happens to you guys a lot. All the time. Really? Mm-hmm. How, how how do you make the – are the adjustments coming from the sideline mainly or are the leaders on the defense doing more of that? Well, it's – you know, it, it starts with the coaches. Um, when we have a series, you know, we come to the sideline immediately. Uh, you start talking to your coach. They're asking you what you're seeing out there, what they're doing, what they're doing that you haven't seen yet. And uh, most teams, you know, they have their bread and butter. They have what they're going to do. Uh, they have their strengths, their favorite plays, their favorite, um, you know, players that like to run certain plays. And our coaches, like you say, I mean, they're, they're, they're the best of the best in terms of preparation and um, being ready and being prepared for everything and um, you know you go on the field usually the first series you'll you'll find a lot of things out in the first series but what what teams will try and do is uh, they'll they'll give you different looks different formations they'll line up different ways they'll make different shifts motions uh, to kind of throw you off but at the end of the day they're trying to get back to the to what they do like I said there there's certain uh, uh, mo I guess you could say there's certain people that that, that they want to have the ball with. right exactly and once uh, once our coaches see uh, and a lot of it comes from the box too you know we have guys up upstairs who are you know not not coach smart necessarily but uh, coach Pruitt and GAs and other guys like that who are charting plays charting formations once we figure out what they're trying to do uh, coach smart does just an absolutely phenomenal job of figuring out what they're doing what we need to do to stop it and then communicating that to the players and the defense and making sure that we're in the right formations and adjustments for the rest of the game oh that's that's interesting stuff to me and speaking of Kirby smart driving over here just a little while ago and I'm listening to the radio and he's actually interviewing with Auburn for the head job today and I just want to go on record just saying that I hope he doesn't take it Uh, I can't imagine going into that situation right now uh, with the other jobs that are open um, yeah, you, you can you can put me on record as, as saying that I don't really think there's much of a realistic chance of that happening. If he goes to Auburn, you guys are gonna have to invite me back on here and and embarrass me somehow. I just don't see it happening. You um, got a deal. I don't think that there's that there's any amount of money they could pay him to go across the state and coach against Coach Saban after being here for so long. Well, you know, when you stop to think about, it, you got the NCAA sniffing around. They've they've had a talent drain because so many kids have left school or didn't pan out. Uh, they've got you know a situation where you go three and nine. 
Uh, you got Nick Saban. 120 miles away with the program is in as strong a position as it's ever been. And it's not going to fall off anytime soon. I mean, it's just not. So if you go down there and so, so you're making a lot of money, you're not going to beat Alabama and Georgia consistently, if at all in the next three or four years. And by the time three years goes by and you're zero and six against Georgia and Alabama, they're wanting to run you off then anyway, mm-hmm. then what, then what happens? I mean, why, you know, it's uh and it's, uh, it just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Uh, the Tennessee job is – Tennessee's the only big-time school in the state. Now, Vanderbilt's having a good year, sure. But how long is James Franklin going to stay at Vanderbilt because he's done so, – they've won eight games and going to a bowl game. Somebody's going to offer him a lot of money at a bigger school with a chance to go to bowl games and win a BCS championships, and he'll be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, So uh, Arkansas's open. North Carolina State's open. You've got three or four other D1 programs open. It's not a good time to be looking for a head coach. No, you know, I I really don't think that uh, that Coach Smart will be leaving uh, for anything uh, that's not a much better upgrade than his job right now, which he's sitting pretty nice. You know, he's uh, he's been he's been probably the the biggest assistant coach name now for the last year or two. Um, he's he's obviously he has Coach Saban's system down, which has proven success, and obviously people try and hire Coach Saban's uh, past uh, colleagues and. And uh, and he's just you know he he's really got um, he's he's very comfortable I think right now I think the only job that he would leave for possibly would be Georgia uh, and I just don't see that job opening up anytime soon Rick has done a great job there I think he gets a lot of flack he wins a lot of football games there and uh, you know their fan base is a lot like ours they expect greatness and he just seemed, he hadn't been able to get over the hump here lately but he's a pretty doggone good coach so yeah. I don't see him getting fired anytime uh, soon that, that's a very good point uh, Will you know I was thinking the other day too that Georgia's program's actually in the best shape it's ever been for the last 10 or 12 years they've averaged more wins than they ever did before so the idea that they want that to get that program back where it's where they where it used to be uh they need to think again uh because other than one championship they won when herschel was there 32 years ago georgia's program's as good as it's ever been right now mm-hmm. and, and they played a heck of a game the other day now we're having a little fun in the intro there but they they played their guts out it was a classic game i think any college football fan could watch that game and just really enjoy it you know i remember coach saying Coach Saban saying good things about you. He had confidence in you, and I know he's not going to put somebody out there that's going to go rat trap like he likes to say. What was it you were able to do to build that trust so that he felt good about putting you out there? Well, uh, like I said earlier, uh, my sophomore year when when uh, we were when we were making the run for the 2009 championship, uh, you know, I realized that we were going to have seven of our top eight DBs graduating, and uh, I knew that that spring that that would that would be getting uh, some opportunities on the field in in spring practice simply because we we just didn't have anybody else to put out there. Um, so, you know, we had, uh, I think we had two scrimmages before A-Day, and uh, I was able to just perform well in the scrimmages. You know, I've, I've, I learned the system and was able to, to make plays in practice to where they put me with the first and second groups uh, in the scrimmages. And those scrimmages, you know, they take very seriously. That's when they find out who's going to play, who can kinda, make plays. It's kind of like and, a midterm exam. Right. And, uh, and I was just able to do well and uh, ended up making a lot of tackles and plays and was be able to be up there uh, in terms of production um, after both of the scrimmages. And uh, and I, I think I just proved to him really uh, that I could tackle guys like Trent and Mark and, and Julio and that I could compete with them. Uh, See, and, when I think about trying to tackle those guys, I have pictures of myself in traction and casts and splints <laughs> and taking heavy pain medication. I just uh, I admire you for that. Hey, you know, man, 
that jersey you guys wear is a special deal. Uh, what was it like the first time you put on that jersey, you put on that dress uniform and run out of that tunnel to warm up? Uh, it was just very surreal. You know, I, um, the first time I got to dress out my freshman year, I didn't dress out a single game uh, until the bowl game. So I got to go to New Orleans and, and got to dress out in the Dome uh, for the Sugar Bowl. And it was an unbelievable experience and um, something I'll never forget. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that I, I really did think that that would, might be as far as I would ever get is able to dress out and run out and just stand on the sidelines. And that enough uh, would have been enough. And, yeah, and then one year later, no, two years later, you're dressing out and starting against Michigan State, and we beat them like a redheaded stepchild that day, uh, forty-nine to seven. And the was it the Capital One Bowl? It yeah. was. Yeah. What's it like starting in a bowl game for Alabama? It was. It was special. You know, um, that was that was the year that um, I guess uh, the game before when Mark tore his uh, his pec or his shoulder, whatever it was that he had, had torn, and so he was out and had surgery and was recovering. So. Um, you know, I was I was able to get an opportunity to start, and I, I appreciated the coaching staff having the trust in me to to put me out there. You know, because I I play. Uh, you know, I, I started in the dimeback role for two years, which was about depending on who we were playing and how the game went, about fifteen to twenty snaps on defense a game. And um, you know, I I think that uh, the coaches um, I, I I just really appreciated them trusting the fact that I could be out there for fifty or sixty plays and handle the physical standpoint of it and uh, and help lead the defense. Hey, you know, one thing I. Uh, it comes to mind for me a lot and I know from being on the sideline a few times that I've gotten to over the years you you do not get a real picture of how fast this game is even on TV you don't really grasp how fast it is because these guys are big and there's 22 of them out there moving at full speed on every play in 22 different directions it's a blur what how long does it take you to adjust to the fact when you get out there it's you know, when you watch high school ball, when I watch uh, Friday Night High School Review on the news, it looks like they're in slow motion. Well, um, I, like we talked about earlier, I think one of the things that contributed to it was playing at Hoover. You know, when I was a junior, I played with guys like Kerry Murphy and uh, Josh Chapman and, and Michael Dijon, who walked on at Alabama. John Parker. Was Corey there. Reamer, John Parker. You know, I grew up with talent like that, uh, playing with, with guys like that. So uh, I wasn't a stranger to, to playing with the best of the best, respectively, I guess. And uh, But there wasn't 22 of them out there. Right, right. There wasn't. Um, but, you know, once you get out there, you just have to have confidence in yourself. I really think, I really believe in that. You know, I, uh, one of the things that Coach Pruitt always used to say that kind of stuck with me was, why can't you, you know, and, and why can't you do it? Why can't you play with these guys, you know? And, and uh, I really took that to heart, and I, I really just didn't see any reason why I couldn't. Uh, and so I was able to learn the defense. And it, once you know what you're doing on the field, you can you can play fast, you know. So I was I was able to get a good understanding of the defense and, and process plays maybe a little bit faster than others yeah. to where I could, you know, my, my 40 time wasn't as important because I knew where I was supposed to be because you could be there before. sooner because exactly. you knew where to go. Right. Hey, we're in the two-minute drill now, uh, but I wanted to ask you another thing. You know, being from Birmingham, you probably know and played against guys that went to Auburn. What's it like playing in the Iron Bowl having grown up here where it's a 365-day-a-week deal? Day um, a year deal. It it was it was just a tremendous blessing. Um, like you say, growing up here, I mean, I disliked Auburn as much as any Alabama fan. I loved the Iron Bowl. I think it's the best rivalry in sports. I think uh, if you grew up in the state and you grew up. Uh, keeping up with the games and uh, if you're lucky enough to go to the games and watch the games and be a part of it the atmosphere is truly something special and uh, when I got the opportunity to play in the game was just just very surreal Um, it's it's unlike anything else 
<laughs> it's got to be. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm still – I know you still know a bunch of guys on the team. What impresses you most about this bunch this year? Um, the thing that impresses me the most about this team this year would – uh, probably go back to what you were saying, their maturity level. Um, it's just It was just another rat trap of a year uh, for them in terms of coming off a championship year. And, uh, you know, it was very, it could be, it could have been very easy for them to be complacent this year and to come out with a sense of entitlement and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, have that target on their back uh, week in and week out, kind of grow wary of it. And uh, they've just done a phenomenal job of, of kind of, uh, you know, man in the post, I guess you could say, and taking on that role of being uh, Alabama and being the best team in the country and, and, not uh, and not just letting it get to them, but actually embracing it and uh, and embracing that challenge uh, week in and week out. And, and the fact that they've made it to Miami uh, through the all the through all the adversity that they've faced this year says a lot about them. Man, that's uh, that's that's great to hear. I appreciate that. Man, you've done a great job. It's been a it's been really cool to get a chance to sit down and hang out and talk about the tide for a while. I really appreciate you taking time to come by. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can get in touch with me uh, over email is probably the best way. Uh, email address is uh, James W. Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, I-I-I, at gmail.com. Hey, we're going to call you again because we want you to come back and visit with us again sometime. For sure. I'll be listening for the call. Hey, you know, if you want to win a game, you've got to have a good game plan. And let's face it, most of us don't have a good retirement planning playbook. If you need to know more about building a better financial future starting now, go to annuitiesalabama.com today. You'll see they can help you with strategies that are safe and smart that will get you across that retirement goal line. But, folks, the game clock's running, so make this a priority and call a play today. That's annuitiesalabama.com. Hey, before we toss the ball back to the ref, we want to remind you that Bama Talk Show downloads are free. You can find us in the podcast section of iTunes. We're on Stitcher and at bigbrainsmedia.com. When you hit the subscribe button, it saves and stores every episode so you can listen to any show anytime you like, as much as you like, at no charge. It's easy, it's automatic, and it's free. You can download the show to your smartphone or your mobile device so you can take it with you and listen while you're driving or working out. With an earplug, it could get you through that last half hour at the in-laws house on Sunday afternoon. And there's more good news. Since we're on the World Wide Web, if you've had to flee the country and you're living in a cave somewhere on another continent, we're going to be right there with you. Or if that special someone has you sitting at home alone on Saturday night because they said their cousin's cat was sick, you've got your pick of Bama Talk Show episodes to see you through the storm. Before we get out of here, we want to remind you to check out the other shows on the menu at Big Brains Media. Weather Brains, Eavesdrop, Just Talking It Up, and High School Heroes are all entertaining. They're fun, they're free, and they're there when you want to listen. Don't forget about our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're having a lot of fun with it, so put us on your favorites because we'll be posting a lot of the kind of stuff Bama fans like to look at. Well, it's time to head for the locker room. We're looking forward to talking about the Tide all the way through the bowl season and beyond, so stay tuned and be sure to tell your friends about us. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll Tide.